and just stay standing for a moment before I begin. I'm preaching on prayer this morning, so I thought it might be a good idea to start by praying. And so I want to perhaps introduce you to something perhaps a little left field. When I first became a Christian and I started to pray, I was always a little um, uncertain of how I should pray because I didn't come from a particularly religious background. The idea of starting my prayers by saying, Almighty God, creator of heaven and earth, leader of the host of heaven's armies, uh, never really sort of sprang to my lips as the, the appropriate way to address God. So I, I used to just stand there, I'd be pacing around the room and I'd say, Hi God, Chris here. And then I'd start to tell him about all the things in, in my day and the things I wanted and what I was praying for and all the rest. And I got into this habit until one day, I said, hi, Chris. I mean, no, I didn't. <laughs> I might have a couple of times. I said, hi, God, Chris here. And I felt a presence. And instead of telling God what I wanted, I shut up. The first time it had occurred to me that prayer was actually a two-way street. And I didn't hear, God didn't speak to me in an audible voice. You know, prayer's okay, but when you start to hear voices, people worry about you. But I did get this incredible sense of the presence of God. And the problems that I had, the questions that I was asking, I found that without me saying anything, yeah. I began to find solutions. Yeah. I, answers began to drop into my mind. A peace started to drop into my spirit. And I realized that perhaps saying, hi God, Chris here is a good start. But then I perhaps should have waited for God to actually say something as well. Yeah. Who's ever had those conversations where you say, where somebody says to you, hi Chris, I'm John, by the way, do the, and, and you never get a chance to. Sometimes I think our prayers are a bit like that. So I want you to do that with me this morning. Obviously substitute your own name <laughs> rather than use mine, although you can if you like. I'm, we can't get too many prayers. But you don't have to say it out loud. You can say it under your breath or in your mind. But just say hi to God this morning and then let's just wait. Let's just give him a minute to speak back to us. Are you ready? Hi, God. We're here. a minute but I really felt God saying come on Chris you've only got 20 minutes and I've got a lot to say <laughs> so can I have the pulpit please thank you guys you may take your seats
So we're asking the question, why pray? And I know there are some people out there thinking there's got to be a good, good excuse why I shouldn't. But no, that's not what I'm going to come up with. I'm sorry. But prayer should be important to us. And so to, to understand how and why we should feel that way, because I, I don't know about you, but sometimes I feel pressured into prayer. Is anybody else? No, just me. Okay. Because it's, it's a religious requirement. Prayer is part of our Christian faith, and therefore you should be doing it. And so we need to actually ask some questions around that and get some understanding to help us, and we need to get some answers as well, to help us better connect with both the principles and the practice of prayer. For instance, is prayer just a, a religious observance that we have decided that it's our way of speaking to God, or did God actually start prayer? What do we hope to achieve with prayer? And is what we hope to achieve important when it comes to prayer? And you know, how do we begin our prayers? And we've already touched on that a little bit as we pray. But for most Christians, no matter how we start our prayers, whether it be in song or journaling or just a conversational connection, at some point we tend to petition God. Or in simple terms, we ask for stuff. Is that fair enough? Most people, we, we pray because we want to ask God for something. Yep. There's something wrong, we want him to fix it. There's something we want, we want him to get it. There's something happening and we want him to put his hands in that situation and make it come out the way we think it should come out. So we're on the same page here. And so we get to that point where when we pray, all the other parts of praying, like praising God, thanking him for all he's done, you know, promising to be good, praying for the salvation of others, they're all, they're all just a way of softening God up as we pray for that, for that hit at the end where we say, and by the way, God, what I really want is this. And so we often, we often think of prayer as a manipulation that we're doing to God to get what we want. And that we, we angle our prayers because we know, you know you've you ever done that thing with the, the fingers, that there's, there's praise, there's supplication, there's, there's uh, adoration, there's, there's uh, two other things as well. Um, and so we've, we've got this habit, I think, and it's a, probably a, a westernised habit, of thinking of prayer as a way of asking God for stuff. And so with this in mind, many scholars will actually point to Genesis 18, where Abraham appeals to God not to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah as the first recorded prayer in the Bible. And let's just, let's just read what it says in Genesis 18, 23. It says, Abraham approached him and said, will you sweep away both the righteous and the wicked? Suppose you find 50 righteous people living there in the city. Will you still sweep it away and not spare it for their sakes? Surely you wouldn't do such a thing. Destroying the righteous along with the wicked? Why, you would be treating the righteous and the wicked exactly the same. Surely you wouldn't do that. Should not the judge of all earth do what is right? And the Lord replied, If I find 50 righteous people in Sodom, I will spare the entire city for their sake. And that conversation goes on. And the problem with this scripture is that it pictures prayer as something man does to God. It sounds very much as though Abraham steps up and says, Lord, surely you're not going to do that. That's not like you at all. 
You don't destroy the righteous with the wicked, do you? And so he then tries to pin God down. He says, yeah, if 50 people are righteous, will you, will you spare it? And God says, yes. And he, and he goes down in five. You know, 45, 40, 35. Then he gets bold. He goes down in tens. Yeah, 20, 10. And finally at 10, he, th- he thinks that's probably enough. He's, and God says, if you can find 10 righteous people, I will spare the city. And so we've got this bargaining that's going on. And the idea is that Abraham is actually convincing God to do something he doesn't want to do. And if we look at it that way, guess what? It sounds as though Abraham is more compassionate than God. It sounds as though we as men and women of God can actually be more caring, more compassionate, better judges than our God is. Now, we know, or we should know, that man is never more compassionate than God. Compassion is born of God and only shows up in human beings when it's implanted by the Spirit of God. 1 John chapter 4 and verse 7 says, Dear friends, let us continue to love one another, for our love comes from God. Anyone who loves is a child of God and knows God. But anyone who does not love does not know God, for God is love. Therefore, it is always a mistake to think that we are called on in the act of prayer to do something to God or that we're being summoned to persevere in prayer to such a degree that we persuade a reluctant God to do or not do something he set his heart upon. That is not prayer. Prayer actually begins with God. It's God who calls, it's God who helps. And how do we know this? I have to excuse me, I have a really tickly throat. (coughs) I have had a COVID test and it's not COVID. Remember how last week I said that Adam and Eve didn't pray? Well, I may have bent the truth a little bit there. They didn't actually pray prayers, but how do we define prayer? Prayer should be conversation with God. And there's a conversation earlier in the Bible than Genesis 18, And again, just like Genesis 18, the situation isn't exactly perfect here. Uh, The situation is, in fact, not going well. But it is a conversation between Adam and Eve and God. And it's in Genesis chapter 3 and verse 8. It says, When the cool evening breezes were blowing, the man and his wife heard the Lord God walking about in the garden. So they hid from the Lord God among the trees. Then the Lord God called to the man, Where are you? He replied, I heard you walking in the garden and I hid. I was afraid because I was naked. Who told you you were naked? The Lord God asks. Have you eaten from the tree whose fruit I commanded you not to eat? The man replied, it was the woman you gave me who gave me the fruit and I ate it. Then the Lord God asked the woman, what have you done? The serpent deceived me, she replied, that's why. I ate it. And so we can see by implication here that God spoke regularly to Adam and Eve here in the Garden of Eden. And the fact that this apparently took place in the cool of the day is an indication that it was a relaxed and unpressured time. Who feels like that about prayer? (coughs) Sometimes I think it's one of those chores that we do early to get it out of the way rather than walking in the cool of the evening with our friend God. 
But their workday was over. They could feel relaxed and refreshed and they could walk through the garden talking with the Lord in an intimate and unrestricted conversation about whatever was on their mind. That was prayer, being relaxed in the presence of a trusted friend with no particular agenda. But now, notice here in verse 8 that sin has entered the garden and Adam and Eve are hiding from God. All that friendly informality is gone. It's replaced by fear, a sense of shame and an unwillingness to meet God. And the encouraging thing about this account to me is that God himself assumes the initiative to correct that condition. He does it in prayer by the asking of questions. There are three questions that come from his lips for Adam and Eve. The first one is, where are you? Now, I think it's important for us to, to realise God did not ask the question because he didn't know where they were. He asked the question because he wanted to know if they knew where they were. And it's a really important question because have you ever got up Google Maps on your phone and somebody, you're going to visit somebody and they've told you where they live and you plug in their address and it will show you their address on the map. But as soon as you press directions, the next question it asks you is where are you? Because you can't, it can't take you anywhere until it knows where you're beginning from. And it's the same here in prayer. When we pray, God wants to know where we're coming from. And more importantly, he wants to know if we know where we're coming from. Where am I in this journey of life? What's happening to me? Am I nearer the fulfillment of my dreams than I was a year ago? Or am I further away and they're rapidly disappearing into the distance? Am I nearer the objective, the ideal of what I want to be as a man or a woman of God than I was a few years ago? Or have I stalled or gone backwards? Where am I? That's the question we need to frequently ask ourselves. And Adam must have struggled with the answer. Where am I? Uh, well, here I am, Lord, in the bushes, feeling shameful and naked and deprived and away from you. But he must have suddenly realised in his heart that he was not where he was even the day before. He began for the first time to grasp the enormity of what had happened to him. So as we pray, God wants us to be honest about where we are. The second question he asked was, who told you you were naked? So God's question implies somebody told you that. You didn't find it out yourself, because guess what? You've been naked for a very long time and you didn't realise it. It's not a new question that come, came up. You didn't just strip off your clothes and suddenly think, oh, I'm naked. You've been naked forever. And somebody has told you that you are naked. Somebody's been talking to you. Now, of course, the only other one who's so far appeared on the scene is the serpent. And so he must have told them that they were naked. And there, so God, in his mercy and compassion, leads Adam and Eve to an understanding that it is terribly, terribly important to discriminate which voices you actually listen to. We need to heed this warning as well, because who knows, there are many voices shouting at us all the time. Turn on your phone. Turn on your laptop, your, your computer, your tablet, your TV, and you'll hear it all the time. A constant din of, vo din of voices that are saying to us, you're naked, you don't have anything, you've been cheated. If only you had this, then everything would be all right. You only have to turn on morning television to find out that you've got the wrong fryer, washing machine, heater, <laughs> um, exercise equipment, whatever it is. And only, if only you had the one that they, they are advertising that 
you'd be fine. I mean, I was stunned the other day to find that there's a thing that you can sit in your chair and put your feet on two um, pads that slide backwards and forwards like that while you're sitting so that you can exercise. I'm thinking, it's got a motor. Your leg isn't doing anything. And the thing is that it's comfortable. It doesn't involve any effort because nobody wants to actually put any effort into exercising. And guess what? It's got smooth glide technology. That is everything out there has technology. Some of it's, you know, get the newest shampoo. It's got soap technology. Yeah, everything has, because it's the buzzword that people want to hear. We have to learn to discriminate about the voices that we are listening to. There are voices in this world we must reject. There are pleas and offers being made to us continually that we have to ignore. We must close our ears to them because they're the voice of somebody else other than the Lord our God. The third question he asks is, what have you done? And God is asking for complete honesty here. And Adam and Eve begin the age-old game of passing the buck. Adam blames Eve, Eve blames the serpent. But hidden in each of their responses is the implication that God is to blame. It was the woman you gave me. It was the serpent you allowed into the garden. And so that's the beginning of this natural tendency that we all have to minimise our guilt or to blame somebody else for what we've done. And yet, in the end, both Adam and Eve end their feeble attempts at justification with these words of acknowledgement, and I ate it. They took responsibility in the end. And as soon as they took responsibility, God shows his mercy by cursing the serpent, clothing them, and setting his plan of redemption into motion, declaring that he would always be with them through the hurt and the heartache that they were going to experience. Which is a beautiful account of the forgiveness of God. The lesson for us is that it was the act of prayer, the beginning of a dialogue, painful as though it may have been, that permitted God to break through the misunderstanding and the confusion of their situation and help them see where they were in reality and to help them accept his forgiving grace and restoring love. This is what prayer is about. It's a way of bringing us back into relationship with the Lord our God. So what have we discovered? We've discovered that prayer is God-birthed, not man-made. We've also discovered that prayer is perhaps a bit more about what God hopes to achieve rather than what we hope prayer achieves. So how do we start our prayers? How do we begin to pray? Now let me read you a scripture. I'm sure it's one that you pray all the time. Deuteronomy 6.4 Listen, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord alone. And you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your strength. Does anyone know what that scripture is called? It's called the Shema. It's called the Shema because the first word listen in Hebrew is Shema. And it's a prayer recited morning and evening by Jews from the time of Deuteronomy to the present day. Now you might think, okay, that's a weird sort of prayer. Uh, and before we delve into the, the idea of Shema, let me just point out this, this anomaly when it comes to our prayers, you know, our 21st century mindset. You look at this, that scripture, and you think, well, hey, it can't be a prayer. It's not addressed to Almighty God, Jesus, or the Holy Spirit. 
It's addressed to a nation. Specifically, the speaker is holding themselves and everyone else in this nation accountable for their actions if they truly believe the Lord is their God alone. So perhaps we need to expand our categories when it comes to prayer and think of a few different things. Just a thought. But Shema means listen. But if we look in Exodus 19.5, it says, Now if you obey me and keep my covenant, you will be my own special treasure from among all the peoples on earth, for all the earth belongs to me. Now the interesting thing about that is the word obey there is Shema. It's the same word used as listen. And because Shema, it means listen or hear, it doesn't mean let the sound waves from my mouth enter your shell-like ear. That's, that's not the meaning. The, is, the meaning is, if you've got kids, have you ever experienced that time when you walk into their bedroom, the toys are all over the floor, and you say in a reasonably loud voice, kids, can you please clean up your room? And guess what? They shema. They hear. But as you look, what is happening? Nada. Nothing. And so slightly louder you say, kids, clean up your room. Listen to me. Now, you know they've heard. You're not asking them to listen to you. What you're asking them to do is to listen to what you're saying and do what you have said. Is that not true? Very good. Good luck with that. Um, But that's that's how God approaches this idea of the Shema, of listening. If God is the initiator of our prayer life, then perhaps it stands to reason that the way to begin prayer is to listen. And it doesn't necessarily mean just to wait to hear God's voice, although that's certainly something we can do. It's more about connecting God's word with our prayers. Because who knows, it pays to know what God's word says about us. It pays to understand. In Deuteronomy 6, when it says, Listen, O Israel, the Lord is our God, and the Lord alone. What it's actually saying is, listen, people, if the Lord is really our God and it's only God, then flaming will act like it. Are you really ambassadors of the Lord? Do, you, do people come to you and say, they're obviously God's people? Because their actions indicate that. It says you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul and all your strength. Is that obvious to the people? It's not saying hear this, this is a good idea. It's saying can people tell that you have heard what God is saying by your actions? My wife, hi, is very keen and very um, strong on saying this. If you know but you do not do, you do not know. If you have information about how you should act, what you should do, and you don't act on it, then you don't really know. You, don't re- you haven't really internalised that information. You've just heard it. Sound waves have hit your shell-like ear, but they haven't gone into your brain, and they certainly haven't gone into your heart. And so the Shema, the idea of listening, is to actually understand that God is speaking to us. He, just, he doesn't want to tickle our ears. He wants us to obey His covenant. In fact, a covenant agreement with God is actually listening and obeying God's word. And we're called to do that. So our prayers should actually have an impact in our life. Um, James chapter 1 verse 22 says, But don't just listen to God's word. You must do what it says. Otherwise, you're only fooling yourself. For if you listen to the word and don't obey, it's like glancing at your face in a mirror. 
You see yourself, walk away and forget what you look like. Now the number of times I've seen some people look in mirrors, I think that's a fairly common occurrence. But we need to understand that there are powerful things at work in prayer. After all, the most recognisable prayer in Christianity, the Lord's Prayer, states in Matthew 6.10, may your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I think sometimes we're too focused on the fact that our will is what we pray about a lot of the time. Now, when I know that the New Testament, in fact, Cody quoted it this morning, that God has promised to answer our prayers. Whatever we pray in Jesus' name will be done. But they're the prayers of a righteous person. What does a righteous person do? Obeys God's commands. So we can't separate out the two. We can't be a horrible person during the week and then pray, God, I want this and expect God to listen. We need to be righteous. We need to understand what God's part in prayer. He started it. He started the conversation so that His will could be done. So to conclude, no matter whether we're the first to speak or we're the only ones we can hear speak, it's actually God who initiates our prayer. It's important to Him. He didn't, it's not just a religious observance that somebody said, hey, we should talk to God more often. Let's put in the rule book. We should pray. God started it. God wants to speak and communicate to His creation, which is us. Our prayers do not change God. They change us. It's God's will in prayer that's more important than our will. So let's begin our prayers with listening and obedience. Let me just pray for you as we come to a close. Father, thank you that you've undertaken to help us in our trials, knowing that we struggle in prayer. Sometimes we're pretty rubbish at it. There are times when we hide ourselves just as Adam and Eve did. So we thank you for your voice that refuses to let us go, but gently calls us out to deal with our weaknesses and enables us to find a place of cleansing, forgiveness and restoration. We pray that we may learn more about prayer as we go through this series. Teach us, Lord, to frequently take hold of this great privilege we call prayer and to enjoy it as it was intended to be enjoyed. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Before we close, let me just add one more thing. When it comes to God's will, there's another scripture in Matthew where God's will is made clear about salvation through His Son, Jesus Christ. Matthew 18, 14 says, In the same way, it is not my heavenly Father's will that even one of these little ones should perish. And that's His will when it comes to us. His desire is that every single person on the planet should come to a knowledge of Him through His Son, Jesus Christ. And again, it's through prayer that we can accept God's offer of imperishable salvation through Jesus. And so if you'd like to pray a prayer that assures you of that salvation, that brings you into relationship with Jesus, 
with his heavenly Father. We can do that by praying. If you're online this morning, a button in the chat will appear. Raise hand on it. If you press that, it will take you to a private session with one of our team who can pray a prayer with you to accept Jesus into your life, to start a walk where God's salvation is something in your life which is imperishable. And you can move on from there. If you're here this morning and you'd like to do that, I'm going to be here at the bottom of the altar here after the service. I'd love to pray a prayer with you to invite Jesus into your life. If you've never done that before or you know that you need to actually do it again because you're not walking with him right now. And I'd love to pray with you.